The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you live from several different locations around the world. Uh, I'm coming to you live from a room in my house. This is how I am observing the uh, distance isolation. What are we calling it? Uh, the, <laughs> the, great, the great event, somebody said yesterday, I don't know what we're calling this, um, but I'm home with my kiddo and my husband, like many of you, I'm observing this distancing and trying to stay home as much as possible. Uh, for us, that means as of this afternoon at I think five o'clock, that will mean that we have been home for exactly two weeks. We have not been to a store. Uh, we have been ordering over uh, the internet, having groceries delivered, and we have been observing, I know that there was a, a thing put out yesterday by uh, a doctor urging people to be wiping down their groceries before bringing them into their home. And we have been doing that for two weeks. So um, that's what we have been doing. And yes, I'm still here. I'm slightly crazy as all of us are, but you know, in only the good way, right? <laughs> so, so that is uh, what we got going on. So uh, Traven, if you've got things to tell me, uh, please make sure that you text me. I don't know what just happened, but uh, thrilled to be here with you guys. And we are going to be with you as long as the internet holds out uh, every day, Monday through Friday, we're going to be here during the same time and be with you live for this entire hour. And you do have the ability to write into us in many different ways and to watch the show in many different ways. If you're not watching the show live, you can watch the recorded version, which will live on um, actually many different sites. That uh, you can be watching us live right now on YouTube, on Facebook, and uh, you can be writing in your comments. We're also live on Twitter and on Periscope. But for the recorded versions of us, you can be watching us on Deezer or listening to us on Deezer. You can uh, download us for free on iTunes. And uh, we are now on iHeartRadio, which I really love. I heart that we're on iHeartRadio. Uh, so please check out those different ways. But we really encourage you to be conversing with us and letting us know your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, and your comments and your desires of what you would like to see on this show, because we really want to be here as a resource for you. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why we're all here. For those of you who don't know me, I am a really grateful autism parent that my son was diagnosed when he was two and a half, and I was so lucky. Yeah, we worked hard. I'm not, I'm not disavowing that. We worked hard, but we were also very lucky, and I know uh, what a big role that plays in, in this journey, because we got access fairly quickly to some of the best ABA services in the world. 
And we, we got access to funding to be able to do that. So my son had five years of intensive behavioral intervention starting right at the week he turned three. Um, and we got that for five years from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And it is no coincidence that I now work for them, that is true, and that this show is sponsored by them. Um, because I feel so passionately about the work that they did with my kiddo. And we do talk about ABA here on the show, and we're going to talk about ABA here on the show today uh, for lots of different reasons, uh, but most especially because it is considered the gold standard of treatment for autism. But I'm talking about quality ABA, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. And, um, and personally, I talk about it because it saved our lives. Saved our lives. Saved, I, honestly, because as a parent, my life was severely circle in the drain. And when I see what my son is able to do now and how happy he is, uh, and I attribute almost all of that to the fact that we had good quality ABA. And I want to encourage everybody. I know that it, even in this moment in time, when it seems like, well, that's impossible for the world, right? It isn't. Um, ABA providers around the world are figuring out how to continue to deliver services to you and how to help empower you. Um, whoever you are to be able to help yourself and to help your children. And by the way, I do want to say at the start of the show that um, this show is for the larger autism community. And that means we start with, of course, we hope to be of service to our individuals who are on the autism spectrum here every day, regardless of their age, regardless of what country they're in, uh, regardless of whether they're male, female, or gender neutral, right? We want to be of service to individuals who are on the autism spectrum to help them to get what they need, right? That's first and foremost. But then we also, um, when I say the greater autism community, we also include absolutely everyone who loves those individuals. So that means the parents, that means the teachers, that means the practitioners, the grandparents, the uncles, you know, anybody who loves somebody, the spouses, right? Anybody who loves somebody on the autism spectrum and cares about their needs and wants them to be able to get the progress and, the, and be treated with the dignity and get the employment that they deserve, that's who we're talking to, that community. That's what we're about here um, because we're all different. We all have different things going on in our lives. Every, everybody's starting point is different, right? So there is no one size fits all here. But the one thing, that I think we can all have in common and that we can all agree upon is that we care about individuals who are on the autism spectrum and we see the disparity sometimes with the treatment that they get and we want to make sure that they get treated with the dignity that they deserve and that they get access to the resources that we that, that they need and that we are that we're able to hold it together while we get them access to those things right so um, that's what we're about here and I welcome all opinions about that there's much to discuss and, and we, we're open to it. I'm open to it, but I wanna be of service here to help people to get the information and the inspiration that they need to do exactly what we just talked about, which is to support individuals who are on the autism spectrum. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing here. Okay, so that's the mission. I'm glad you're here with us because I know if you're here that you fit into that larger autism community and welcome. We've got things to do, work to do, and healing to do for ourselves so that we can be of service, yes? 
Uh, okay, so write in, talk to me, tell me, you know, everything that's going on uh, in your neck of the woods. I do like to say we have great experts for you here today that are going to be on the show. Uh, we're going to get to those in just a few minutes. But uh, I always like to remind you at the start of the show that I am not an expert in the field of autism. Just to be clear, um, I've been covering autism um, as, as a, in this sort of format for over a decade. So I've interviewed a lot of experts and a lot of individuals around the autism spectrum. That does not make me an expert. I want to be abundantly clear. It does mean that I have what I consider an informed opinion, and I'm always happy to share that. But let's, let's take that with a ginormous grain of salt, right? That is just my in, opinion. Uh, right. Uh, so, but I have experts here for you that are ac actual experts, which is a very cool thing. Uh, all right. And uh, the other thing is that at the start of some of our shows during the week, we like to do something that we call the jargon of the day, where we take on one word, one phrase, or one acronym, and we try to uh, make sense of it. Right. So first we give you the actual definition, which we often take from a book. And then we make fun of the definition because often that's the only use there is for them is something to poke fun at. Then we give you a working definition where we try to make sense of what it is that they're saying in the book or what the experts are saying to us. And I try to give you a place to start from. I take particular joy in that. I love our experts. Oh man, I love me a good BCBA, right? But I also enjoy uh, making fun of how they use jargon. I'm just keeping it real here. Uh, look, you have to take your enjoyment where you can, right? And I and I love how squeamish they get when, uh, <laughs> when I try to give a working definition. They're like, Shannon, oh, you're really close, but it's not. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got to have a place to start from, guys. So notice that I said we were going to be talking about ABA. Um, and this was on the schedule anyway, but this morning and when I, a lot of times in the morning, the first thing that I do is I go through any comments that have come in in the night from the previous show and try to address them. And I didn't get very far into yesterday's show. And there was a comment that somebody said about, you know, um, and they were very polite about it, but they said, I wish you wouldn't promote ABA on your show because um, it's, and I don't know what word they use, but I get this comment a lot. Um, and somebody will say, because it's traumatizing to kids or it's not humane or, um, lots of different things. And I, I spent some time writing back to them. And I, and I want to address it here on the show um, a little bit, but I want to start from a place of knowing what ABA is, what it is now, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the history of it. So ABA, what is it? Let's do our actual definition of ABA, uh, which is, it's ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. And notice that it's not behavioral analysis, it's behavior analysis. And if you wanna watch a BCBA squirm, say applied behavioral analysis, but then they will assume that you don't know what you're talking about. So use that sparingly. Uh, but it is the application of the principles of learning and motivation from behavior analysis. It employs procedures and technology derived from scientifically demonstrated principles of behavior to increase socially significant behaviors and decrease unwanted or inappropriate behaviors. Okay, so that's our definition. And if you don't know what ABA is and you've never seen ABA, then this is about as useful uh, as, you know, <laughs> I don't know what. 
uh, as a coffee maker with no coffee, right? It's, it's not useful to you. This is, it's like, uh-huh, this sounds great, but I have no idea. I'm no closer to knowing what it is. So let's move on to our working definition of ABA. Um, because the thing that's really important is you're going to hear people talking about ABA a lot. And let's, and just like we hear people talking about autism a lot. What is it? What isn't it? And I think it's really important to define things. So ABA is a proven method of increasing or teaching desired behavior and reducing unwanted behavior. And let's, let's stop right there for a second and talk about desired behavior and, and unwanted behavior in the eyes of who? You know, who gets to be the arbiter of, of deciding, well, what's a desired behavior and what isn't a desired behavior? And this is where I think we get into some sticky wickets um, because it's important for um, us, each and every one of us, to know what, what we feel about this, right? And it is individual. So I, as a parent, um, I, I wanted my son to have the opportunity to be able to have verbal speech because he had it at one point and he lost it. And for me, that was a desired behavior. Now it isn't a desired behavior for everyone. And there are many, many people in the world who cannot have vocal speech. And there are, there are probably as many people in the world who choose not to speak. And I absolutely respect both of those groups of people. You can communicate very well without vocal speech. Um, and if you choose not to, or if you are unable to, good heavens, I respect that, right? But I wanted for, for my son, if it were possible, for it to be a choice for him. I just want to be honest about that. I knew going in to ABA that it was possible that it wouldn't be a choice for him. But I wanted as much as possible for it to, if it were possible, for it to be a choice for him. And is that selfish? Probably. Very likely, probably. Um, but I, I have had periods of time in my life because I had vocal nodes and I was a performer and I had to go on vocal rest. And I spent a couple of months where I, and it was literally at the point where if I did not stop speaking, that I might never have been able to speak again. And so for a period of time, I had to um, use other methods of speaking. And I recall what that was like. And it is, um, it's humbling um, to go through that in your life and realize how important um, different things are to you. And, uh, and there was a measure of frustration about it. And that is why I hoped that my son would be able to speak if he could. I wanted to give him the opportunity I was certainly going to embrace if he couldn't, but I wanted him to have the opportunity. I know that is not everyone's choice, nor does it need to be everyone's choice. But if you as a person, whether you are the person or on the spectrum or you are the parent and you could be both, you could be on the spectrum and be a parent of a child on the spectrum, right? Um, if, if you decide, listen, I want my child to have an opportunity to be able to do something, um, it's a very personal thing. And, and, um, but if you did want them to learn how to do something, you would want an effective teaching method to be able to do that. Right. Let's say that. Um, now on the other side, the unwanted behavior, I think that's even more personal. Um, and what I love about good quality ABA is that it's mindful of that. It's absolutely says, you know, we're, we're going to have you tell us what you think is an unwanted behavior. And I love that, Good quality ABA always looks at things and says, 
what is the function of this behavior? This behavior has a function. It's not just it might have a function, it has a function, which means it's there for a reason. So when an individual is hand flapping, there is a reason for it. It is fulfilling a need for them. And that need is important and must be filled. And good quality ABA says, we can't change or morph this behavior successfully unless we fulfill that need. But it will say that if that behavior is becoming a problem for an individual, and it's, it's let's say that it's a, a five-year-old child who is hand flapping all the time, and we are in a typical society at five years old, we're teaching a child how to write um, as a form of communication. And for a child who needs, needs, hear me say needs to hand flap, then um, taking that away from them is cruel. It's just cruel. And what I love about good quality ABA is that it suggests that we would never take that away unless we found first a way of getting that same need met in a different way. And so good ABA, good quality ABA says, let's find a more functional way of getting that need met, something that they can do that still fills that need, but doesn't prevent them from doing other things like for instance, hand uh, uh, using their hands to write. Um, so I just wanna be the, the person in the world that first of all, um, I want nothing more in this life than to support individuals who are on the autism spectrum across the board, across the board, no matter what age, no matter you know uh, what country they're from, I want to support them. And that of course includes our adults who are on the autism spectrum, many of whom don't like me and that's okay. That is so okay. Um, and some of them don't like me because I'm a parent and parents are annoying and I get that. Totally, totally get that. Um, and some of them don't like me because I am a strong proponent of quality ABA. And I understand that they, um, there are many people who are adults on the spectrum who disagree with ABA and who will say that it's torture. And I want to be the person here that says that um, I know that they're speaking their truth and I support them in speaking their truth. And that I do know that there certainly were 10, 15, 20 years ago, ABA providers who were not quality ABA providers and that they did things that I disagree with. Um, and and I, would, I, I know that some people are speaking from a truth and saying, hey, I was tortured when somebody was doing ABA with me because they taped their hands while they were hand flapping. I agree with you. I think that that is torture and I am not in agreement with that. But the issue for me is that that is not, that is not actually ABA. And it certainly isn't good ABA. Um, but the principles of ABA are just exactly what we're saying here. They want to increase behaviors and decrease other behaviors. That's what ABA is. Now, what somebody decides to do, and, and by the way, a good ABA says that we use scientific methods. So, uh, and science has shown that punitive measures don't work. They're just not, they're not effective. So good quality ABA uh, uses reinforcement to increase behavior and just doesn't give the reinforcement when the behavior that is happening that's challenging is done. So where they'll reward somebody when, um, when they're doing something, when they're increasing the behavior, they just, they just don't give the reinforcer when, it, uh, when other behaviors are happening. But there is no, hey, you're not doing that. It's actually a much kinder, gentler 
form of teaching than most of the teaching methods we currently have on board. That's what good ABA is. So I always make the distinction between good quality ABA and what a lot of people refer to as ABA. And that's where the sticking point is for me. But I never, ever want to negate what somebody is saying about their experience with something that they were told was ABA. I, I give, you know, I, I give total respect to those people. Um, but, but I want parents to know that good quality ABA, what my son had, whoo, made him happy. He was reinforced all the time. He was the happiest little kid on the block. And it didn't just teach him to be obedient. It taught him to learn when and who to be obedient to and to be obedient to himself. Um, he is not a follower. <laughs> he is not somebody that somebody says, oh, go do this. And he just does that. Because I know a lot of people worry about that with ABA, but my son had the very best of ABA at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. They are a great ABA provider. There are other great ABA providers, but there are also some folks out there who are hanging out a shingle, calling it ABA, and I don't know what they're doing, but, it, but it's not good quality ABA. So I think it's important that we talk about this stuff and bring it out into the light, but it has to start with a place of respect. And I hope that people understand that that for me is paramount. Respect um, for individuals on the spectrum to tell their story however they see it first and foremost. Okay. Um, so that's, but, but, but understanding that I want people to know that I'm always going to be a proponent for good quality ABA because it works and it saved our lives. And it gave my son the ability to do all the things that he wants to do. Um, and made me a very happy parent. Okay. We're, we're running late already. So on to, we always have a question of the day for you. And our question today is, how are you managing during this COVID-19 emergency? What, you know, I'd love for you guys to be writing in and telling us, you know, either it's a place where you can confess and say, oh my gosh, I got to tell you that on, I don't know whether it was Monday night, I was like, I had been here with you guys and said, you'll see what the topic of the week is in a second. In fact, let's go on to the topic of the week so that you can see. Uh, the topic of the week is keeping the wheels on and, you know, so that you can keep life happening and productive and do what you have to do. And Monday night, I pretty much had the meltdown and I was like, I can't do this. Uh, right. And, you know, honestly, all that we really had to do was just regroup a little bit um, and find the way that we could get to a space where then we could maintain every day. Cause my kitchen, you know, we're cooking a lot and, um, more than I have in a long, long time. And usually when I cook as much as I'm cooking right now, it's because I'm on vacay. I'm on vacay and I got nothing to do but cook and clean. And that is not my life right now because I'm here with you and I'm doing other things. I'm working. Sometimes I'm working more hours than I used to work and I'm cooking. And, uh, and, so, and then there were dishes and my husband's desperately trying to keep up with the dishes, but even that is hard, right? And, and so the kitchen looked like, uh, oh, I don't, like a bomb had gone off. And I was like, I can't function. And, you know, we got the kitchen entirely clean and, and just vowed that we were going to make sure that we clean up as we go and that we're going to start with an empty dishwasher every morning so that it's just a little bit easier. And that was what we found. And, and the week has gone much better. Um, but I just want to give you guys an opportunity, write into us on Facebook or YouTube and tell us, how are you doing? 
and maybe, you know, towel a little bit on yourself. Like I just did that. The kitchen got way out of control. Um, you know, what are you doing to keep the wheels on and what's the biggest challenge for you right now? Like what, what's really the hardest? Cause maybe, you know, the hive mind here, we can all put our heads together and come up with a way to help you to figure out something to do. For me, it was just simply, it was like, stop everything. Let's put some music on and let's get the kitchen cleaned, you know, and do that as a family. Um, and it really didn't take long. I think it was less than 40 minutes because um, there were pots and pans with stuff stuck on them. And um, you know what I mean? And, but we got it done. We got it done and the week has gone so much better. And when I think about how up distressed I was feeling on Monday night and and how little of effort it took to write the ship, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it's so easy to have things pile up, right? Ooh, I know. I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. So uh, we're going to try <laughs> to address some of the things, but now I've gone on too long about ABA. Um, but we've got a great show for you. And I've got two great experts who are standing by, one who's has been waiting diligently. Uh, our first guest is, gonna, and I'm going to slaughter her name, Dr. Salijah Gola. Uh, she's a pediatric neurologist and an autism expert. And so she's going to be talking with us in just a second about some of the things that we need to know about COVID-19 and the effect it's having on our kids. Just you know, the stress and the anxiety of it, not even talking about, you know, the unthinkable should your child um, test positive for COVID-19. But then a little bit later on in the show, we're going to welcome back to the show, Evelyn Kung. She is the clinical director for CARD. She's going to be answering questions from you guys. We had questions that came in late yesterday with Ask Dr. Doreen. We're going to try to get to all of those um, and more. So you guys can be writing in your questions right now. We'll try to get to as many as we can. I don't want to waste a whole lot of time. And you know, normally we go to a commercial. We don't have commercials right now. See, we're coming to you commercial free. Um, but can I just say this though, and in terms of a couple of the commercials, really quickly, verbally. Um, first of all, the skills folks want you to know that um, because skills has merged with IBT, they were separate companies and now they've merged together. And there are a couple of things that they're offering you guys right now. So ibehavioraltraining.com, which is IBT, they have got um, some, they're giving away some special parent e-learning videos that you guys go to ibehavioraltraining.com and ask them what are the free videos that they're giving away. And then they're daily gonna be releasing uh, information specifically designed for this emergency, like things to do, teaching tips, um, things to do. And my understanding is that those are free as well. So ibehavioraltraining.com. Um, and they're also offering a discount on skills. If you want to um, sign up for skills right now, it's cheaper than it's ever been before. So head over to skillsforautism.com to talk to them about that. Now, um, I also want to say that Sucho, who's one of our favorite experts on the show, who also, she's our resident expert on a couple of different things. She's the one that does the yoga the with my son in that segment that we show. So she is uh, a, a yoga expert, but she's also uh, a wonderful expert, uh, autism expert. And, and her, she specializes in a couple of different things, but one of them is functional communication for our kiddos who don't have vocal speech for whatever reason. And um, the other day, somebody had written in and said, what do you recommend for a child who that you 
you know, for an AUG device, what do you recommend? And I had said Prolo Quo 2 because my understanding was that that was what Sue recommended. And she said to me, no, what the one that I recommend right now is touch chat, touch chat. And so she messaged me last night and said, once a year, they um, make touch chat half price. And, and it's now, it's half price now until the 30th, but they're very, you know, you get, so buy it by the 29th, right? Because the 30th, it's over. So if you want to touch chat, it's normally $149 and I guess it's 70 some odd right now. And um, so I encourage you, if you need um, something um, to go on the iPad for communication, touch chat, get it now, it's half price, which is a truly wonderful thing. Okay, there are my commercials. See how that worked out? Uh, okay, so, I, but I wanna rec, uh, uh, welcome Dr. Gola to the show right now. She's been patiently waiting. There she is. And uh, don't you look stunning? You look absolutely beautiful. <laughs> what, what, what's that about? <laughs> a gorgeous pediatric neurologist, that's, that's craziness. Um, and uh, wonderful to have you here. Uh, and uh, thrilled to have, let's talk a little bit first, uh, tell them about you, tell our viewers about you and what it is that you do, because you're amazing. Uh, thank you, Shannon. Thanks again. This is my second time on the show. I was here sometime in August last year. I'm happy to be back here uh, during the most critical period. Uh, my name is Shaila Jagola. I'm a pediatric neurologist, uh, and uh, I have an additional qualification in autism and neurodevelopmental disorders, and that's what I do. Uh, my clinics are filled with 70 to 80% of them are autism kids under 18 years. I do see some adults as well on the spectrum, but mostly it's kids. And where are you located? Dallas, Texas. That's right. I, I knew it was someplace that I have been that I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to get to come and see you at some point. I was supposed to be there in January and my uh -huh. kid got the flu. So that did not happen. But sometime in the future, I'm going to be there and have an opportunity to see you. Yes, I've lost all of you. my screens. Uh, so, Dr. Gola, a very interesting time that we live in. And I can't get any of my documents to work, but I know that there are some very specific things that you wanted to talk to us about to help us uh, with our kiddos right now with this COVID-19 emergency. What can you share with us? This is a very critical period. A lot of questions. How do we deal with uh, uh, autism kids, specifically when the schools are closed, they're home, uh, no access to much of therapies. And uh, Shannon, you were just talking about ABA and emphasizing the importance. Yes, uh, having a good therapist does play. Uh, a lot of our kids do get ABA like full time, uh, especially the younger age group. And uh, this is uh, really tough, not just on uh, autism community and the patients, but also on the caretakers. They are strongly affected. Uh, what do we do? Uh, how do we keep them in the routine? Because they're so much used to the routine and uh, how do we get through? Uh, but most importantly, I think I would like to cover from a medical perspective, uh, what we need to be aware or be extra cautious, uh, specifically with kids uh, and uh, autism kids. Um, one strong thing I uh, recommend is uh, uh, washing, hand washing, which is uh, uh, about 20 seconds. And uh, I do tell my kids specifically, hey, how do we have them wash their hands for 20 seconds? 
they can sing a song like a happy birthday song or a twinkle twinkle little song and mom can sing with them it's very important and some of our kids have these odd repetitive behaviors like either flapping spinning or touching the face often uh, so it's very important uh, to see, uh, avoid that. Uh, I know we can't put gloves all the time, but if they can wash and sanitize their hands and uh, maybe on those kids who are uh, used to having those stereotypes of face touching, maybe having gloves on them would be uh, beneficial as well. Um, I also want to stretch the fact that I know we are not able to see uh, the kids face to face or access to providers face to face. Uh, but a lot of us, including uh, doctors, therapists, uh, have access to what is called as televisits. And I think the government just passed the rule that you could do interstate visits. So, for example, I can see a kid from California through a televisit. Uh, through the tele-video conferencing and uh, the insurance will be covered and we can take care of it. So there is access to providers, not just within your state, but also throughout the country through this crisis. And and Dr. Gola, uh, and I, I'm not saying it right. I, I say it, G. Gola? Gola, you got it perfect. That's good. Okay. So um, we, to some extent, we had telehealth before. Um, in some states and in some circumstances, but um, my understanding and, and, and along with what you were just saying is that uh, the things that were preventing us from doing it widely, that a lot of those just have been waved out of the, out of the way now, right? So that there's more telehealth than ever before. So for instance, you were saying that you are able to talk to somebody in California. So if a, if a parent is watching and saying, hey, I would wow, I've never had the opportunity um, to take advantage of this before. How would they contact you? How would, what would they do to start telehealth with you during this time? Yes, uh, they just need to call my office and uh, we'll help them set it up. They need to have access to internet uh, or email. And if they don't have that, we can still do it via regular phone. So there's multiple avenues and multiple ways to do it. And uh, most insurances, including Medicaid is now covered and there is no interstate restrictions at all. That's pretty amazing. So what is the number for your office? If you don't mind my asking. Yes, definitely. I work for Texas Institute for Neurological Disorders. And uh, I will also share my website with you. And the mm -hmm. number is, uh, whenever you're ready, uh, can I go ahead yeah, and- you, you can go ahead and tell us. Yes, it's 1-844-754-1800. Uh, yeah, 754-8463. 8463? 8 8-44, and uh, I'm just typing it in as well and sending it right over to you. Okay, but I think I've got 844-754-8463, is that correct? 8643. 8643. So you can yes. see I'm slightly dyslexic with numbers. Okay, I've got that written down. And hopefully, so again, 844-754-8643 for those of you who wanted to reach out to her um, during this time and, and to do telehealth. Uh, telehealth is, is something that, you know, we, we just in the last couple of years uh, have seen the, the rise of this and it's been helping so many families that are in, in faraway areas. 
And more and more people were using this. Parents uh, were finding this was a little bit easier to do some telehealth things because, you know, if you're at work and your child's at school and you're having to have an appointment that's necessary for your child and not having to drive, you know, it's, it's been a really beneficial thing. But the fact that the groundwork had been laid um, for this emergency, had, it, it's now become the mode that we all are relying on. So take advantage of it. This is an opportunity where you couldn't last week in some states reach out uh, to the doctor and, and have a discussion about pediatric neurology. Uh, now you can. And so let's take just a couple of minutes to talk about like what kinds of things you treat and that, you know, and that might be helpful during this emergency? Yes. Uh, so it's a little challenging. It, it is a little different from a face-to-face -face visit, but we could literally do most of the things we do on a face-to-face -face visit. Um, so the family calls in, we set up an appointment and hey, uh, it could be a new patient or a follow-up for medications or whatnot. If it's follow-up, it's much easier. You just, you know the kid from before and you have established uh, that uh, rapport with them and just uh, adjusting the medications or ordering new tests and it's as easy as that. But when it's a new child coming in for a new diagnosis or questions, uh, it's a little more challenging, but it's, it's not impossible at all. And the televisit is not just telephone, just to emphasize, it's a, a video audio visit. So you could see me and I could see the child, I could see the family in their home environment. So we'll basically be doing the same things we do in the clinic visit, like a thorough history, uh, an exam, whatever we can. So I can observe the child walk, play with ties, and I do use some gadgets via video to check their tracking or eye contact or speech, ask them some questions. And uh, it's, it's almost equal to a video visit. Uh, and it's pretty thorough. It might be like an hour to two hours, depending on the complexity. Uh, that's the evaluation. Once the evaluation is done, we uh, typically do some tests. Uh, for example, I do offer genetic testing in the clinic, uh, which is not blood, which is done by a swab to look for causes of autism. And uh, for that, uh, with the corona crisis, we are sending out kids home to families who need it. So the uh, mom or dad can just swab uh, at home and uh, just drop it in a FedEx location. So uh, what I'm trying to say is we could do the blood work, the genetic testing, whatever is needed uh, as much as we can from a home setting and still take care of all the needs so they do get appropriate care uh, and therapies. And uh, I also hear that a lot of ABA therapists, um, BCBS are trying to do uh, some communication via tele. I know it's restricted, uh, but uh, something is uh, still better than nothing. So we do have uh, providers working and I would definitely suggest families to stay home and uh, not rush into the clinic uh, or go to the hospital uh, unless there is an emergency. You could do everything from medications to uh, blood work, uh, to talking to your doctor. Uh, and again, with this, there is more anxiety, uh, more uh, nervousness, not just to the kid, but also to the adults and caregivers taking care of them. 
but we are here to support you and uh, we are available even for weekend visits. Given the crisis, we know that uh, parents are working. So I, I see kids on weekends, evenings, after hours uh, through, through this crisis to get through uh, all of us as a team. Wonderful. And so are, I, I love all of this advice. We all need to be making the commitment to stay home and to realize that there are things in place to help even, you know, the beginnings of you know, doing the swab test and all of that. You can do that from home. Are there any other, um, uh, any other piece of, of advice that you want us to be looking out for as we move along through this crisis? And um, is there anything we should be looking for in our kids um, or to stay ahead of the curve, so to speak. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, I definitely stretch the point of prevention as we do not have a treatment as of today. So prevention is, is the treatment and this is something we can prevent. Uh, so I tell all my kids and adults five golden tips wash your hands like we discussed, social distancing, which is very important. Like last week I had a kid, but how does a kid with autism uh, understand the point of social distancing? He was uh, licking all of us, <laughs> licking his mom um, and uh, the tables in the clinic and so on. So social distancing is very important. Uh, six feet is what they say, uh, but there are a lot of things you can do while social distancing. You could uh, walk in the park, walk with the dog, um, make sure you clean the doorknobs, doorknobs, uh, computers, cell phones, keyboards. These are some things uh, kids with autism are highly fascinated towards. So you could uh, uh, make sure, you should probably make sure that we do uh, repetitive cleaning of the doorknobs and whatever the kids get their hand on uh, at home uh, or a daycare. Uh, again, it's quite challenging for uh, parents who are working to take care of the kids at home. Uh, but there are, uh, again, services available. Try to find a friend uh, or uh, another parent who can take care of their kid while they are at work. Um, and uh, I would not uh, say it's as simple as a flu. I don't want uh, us to panic either because there's a huge panic uh, going on uh, among everyone uh, that what's happening. So it's, it's not as simple as flu, it's more dangerous. Uh, but uh, as far as we take the preventions, we should be good. And uh, this does not affect kids as seriously. There are maybe a couple of uh, kids diagnosed throughout the country. Uh, and most of it is usually when they're immunosuppressed or have some kind of pre-existing condition. So kids can be carriers, they can pass it on to their grandparents or uh, the other sick people or the um, uh, people who are more prone to that, like the immunocompressed. So I would be careful, uh, but kids usually have very mild symptoms. So if you see a child has a cold or a cough, uh, or a mild fever, uh, please call your doctor. Try avoid going to the emergency room, call your doctor so they could advise you on where to go and how to get it tested uh, because kids can be what you call as oligosymptomatic or uh, very few symptoms compared to the adults or the older people. Thank you so much for all of that advice. We're unfortunately, we're out of time, but I wanna make sure that we give everybody your phone number again at the clinic is 844-754-6, uh, excuse me, 8643. I'm gonna say it again. Um, oh, 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 they're asking me to start my video. There we go. 844-754-6643. Uh, 
8643. So 844-754-8643. Thank you so much for being with us. We've enjoyed having you back on the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank thank you. Bye-bye. Be safe. Yes, you too. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, So great, you guys. Glad that we could share that information. And now we're going to welcome to the show our other guest. Evelyn Kung is joining us again uh, today. And uh, she is amazing, has been a regular on the show. There she is. Hello. And thrilled to have you. I feel like I just barely left you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Because she and I were on a call uh, together with parents last night. In fact, if I can pull it up here, we had a call after we had somebody, you had started to answer a question on the call last night. Uh, Evelyn and uh, my computer is just being so difficult. And then you left and there was a second part to the question and I gave them the choice. I said that we could either answer it uh, on the show here or tomorrow. And they said, Hey, yeah, answer it on autism live tomorrow. So I want to share, first of all, with everyone that Evelyn Kong is amazing. And can I tell you that so many people were saying that about you behind your back last night, (laughs) The the thing that we were on last night, card is doing, we have a, a parent organization at CARD. It's, we call it the PTA. It's the parents that are truly amazing. It's our, our parent organization at CARD. And every afternoon at four o'clock, we're doing a webinar um, just for those folks. I know you're probably chartreuse with envy, um, but it is one of the perks of being a CARD parent. And Evelyn was on that call with parents last night. So the question started, my son will on purpose state the wrong answer. And then the therapists have to ask the, the question again, only then he will answer correctly. This is un- unnecessarily giving him attention as he is smiling when he is giving the wrong answers. When he doesn't know, then he does not smile. Then I know he really does not know the answer. And and Evelyn addressed that part of the question, but then they went on to uh, add, he is doing this with his school therapist. I'm observing this when all his therapies are currently at home virtually and wanting to know how to handle it. Uh, and how do we address it for the school perspective for the child's study team? That's the part that they're wanting to know. I think a lot of us are learning a lot of things that we didn't know about our kids because our kids were at school and nobody was telling us, right? So this parent is seeing this um, now with the schooling and wants some advice. How, do, how does he talk to the school team so that they will know what to do, Evelyn? So this is actually a great one in the sense that teachers care if kids answer or don't answer correctly. So sometimes there's interventions or behaviors that the parents are concerned about, but maybe the school doesn't take it seriously. This one, the schools take seriously because they do need to find out, like, does this kid know this information or not? So this is a great time. So one of the things I had said about at home was, if you're gonna stop this behavior, you have to get everybody on one behavior intervention plan where everybody's gonna respond the exact same way because this child is getting this access that's keeping the behavior where maybe everybody at home uh, is aware that he wants that second question, but everybody at school is not. So then the behavior just never goes away in either setting because they, you know, it's just getting reinforced somewhere. And so this is a good time to sit down with the school staff and the teacher and you know any of the people working with him directly one-on-one and any resource speech, everybody. Everybody has to be on board and you, you have your, B, your BCBA or whoever is writing your um, behavior intervention plan and really 
give them the definition of what it looks like, you know, what happens and all the information that you just shared. And then also they just need to create a plan that basically says, you know, we're not going to ask the question a different, um, we're not gonna answer the question, ask the question again the second time because that's what he's seeking. And so maybe what you're doing instead is moving on to the next question or maybe going on and changing the form of the question that you're asking and still getting the same information. But it's gonna require the child to work. And then when he does, answer on the first try, the reinforcement for that first response needs to be much bigger than um, any other thing, because he has to know this is what people want from me. They are much happier. They will give me a ton more attention. They will give me a lot of great things that I love if I answer on the first try. So that's, you know, I work with your BCBA, really sit there and um, plan it all out. You have to get everyone on the same page though. It does not work if one person is um, answering intermittently because if you want a behavior to stay around, all the research shows that that's the way to get the behavior to stay is that intermittent reinforcement where it just happens once in a while. Okay, I am trying to get back to all of, I, I got, so my, my internet is just being weird for me today. Um, so I definitely want to address, we've got a mom on YouTube today who is saying potty training, please help me. Been trying since he was two, he will be four in October. He is not diagnosed. Um, she says, uh, but I'm almost positive he is on the spectrum. I feel like I've tried everything. He does not even like sitting on the potty um, that, um, and, and it, the, the chat was giving her a little bit of uh, trouble, but she says um, that he freaks uh, and does not want to sit on the potty. I do want to say that we've got a video that's that's going to be coming out probably next week where I've got two experts who go through the entire Fox and Azrin so that, that that will be available for you next week. But maybe Evelyn, if you want to give her a, a quick, so because that's probably not till next week, that video is being edited right now. Well, I was going to say, if you've tried a lot, I actually need to find out what you have tried. <laughs> and that's because that really matters. Um, the Fox Nazarene method, it totally works. It's just that it takes longer for kids that have had been able to escape previous potty training um, sessions. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you've tried this before. You've made me sit here for days. And they get that. So that when you start to try it again, they will fight twice as hard, five times as hard, a hundred times as hard, and they will wait you out. So it's important that if you're going to commit to toilet training, and you know, I, I recommend that next week you look at um, that video because that video, those people are great who are doing it. And really, when you commit to potty training, you have to commit totally where you're going to say, I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue on this path. And basically, it becomes a battle of the wills of whether the kid can hold out longer or whether the parents can hold out longer. So that might mean that you're going to be changing your activities. That might be changing your schedule um, so that when you uh, start the whole process, you're going to commit to it and stay with it, even if it takes you two or three weeks of sitting in the toilet every single day. There is another issue, though, is you have to decide, um, is there something about sitting on the toilet that he doesn't like? You know, the whole concept of toilet training um, 
you know, just in typical development is that the kid has all the control. And that's completely true. There's very little things that we can do to make them go. In, the, in um, our potty training here, we always say, give the kids salty food so they'll drink more water. So then the process of them <laughs> having to pee actually happens more, but that only, you know, that's only a little bit control. The kid has all the control. But I was gonna go back to say that if he doesn't like to sit, maybe you only want to provide a reinforcer for him where that's the only time he has access is sitting on the toilet. And at the beginning, it might be in his diapers or in his underwear, and it's not a big deal. He might be sitting there. We've had families where the toilet is so aversive for the kid, they will fight screaming to sit there because they connect it to being made to sit there. But then there are also kids who don't like the feeling of the toilet. So I always tell the parents, you know, you know, the little soft and squishy toilet seats that you can put in, you know, the inserts that you put into the toilet that make it soft. And, you know, if you can find something like that, that goes in, that's they like, you know, Sesame Street does a ton of them. And I've had plenty of kids who love Ernie who will sit on the toilet if Ernie's in there. And, you know, if you can find any of those things that make it more motivated to be sitting there, that's great. Um, many of our families, you know, our kids love devices or books or certain things like that. And we'll just say the only time they get access is if they're sitting on the toilet. And so there is that process of, hey, just sit here. We're not asking you to do anything, but just sit here and get used to it so that he starts to just acclimate that it's okay to sit. Then you know that you got past at least, you know, it's not the feeling or the sensory aspect of the toilet seat that is um, making him run. And then there's a lot of fun things that we've done. There's kids who, you know, we started cutting their diapers <laughs> at the bottom. So they're sitting and, you know, slowly we're actually to the point of where we've cut the whole diaper, but maybe on the waist it's still on, but the rest of it is, uh, and they're actually peeing and um, having bowel movements in the toilet. And actually the first time it actually happens, they're in shock that it happens. And then it becomes kind of fun because it's a little cause and effect thing. But there's a lot of things that you can try and encourage you to really watch that video. That's great. Fox and Azrin, it works. If you've tried really hard though, it's gonna, it's not gonna happen in two or three days or in a week. It's gonna be a lot longer if you've tried many, many times because the kids know, oh, you guys tried this with me, you know, however long ago. And you know, basically you did it for seven days. And I waited seven days and fought and screamed seven days, and eventually you stopped making me sit here. Um, if they have that kind of behavioral history, it's going to take a lot longer. So you just need to be patient and don't start it until you are sure that you can clear your schedule and be able to follow through um, for, let's say, a month or two. And then, you know, hopefully it won't take that long, but I've seen it take a long time for the kids that where the families have attempted to toilet train and get up many times. And I just want to throw in there as a parent that I know one of my biggest concerns uh, when I when my child was diagnosed and um, was not yet potty trained, um, it's like the first little milestone that you see all the other kids and, and we start to worry because you hear the stories of the kids who are 15 years old and in diapers. But as soon as I met people in the ABA community, they, I was fascinated by how they were about potty training because as parents were all like, oh my gosh, will he ever be potty trained? And the ABA professionals are like, oh yeah, no, we've cracked that code. Oh no, we have that, that, that won't be a problem. And, and the parents are all like, I, no, my child's on the spectrum. It might be a problem. And the ABA professionals are like, 
oh, no, 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 we, we know what to do. It just takes longer with some kids, but we know for sure what to do. Your child will be potty trained. And, and that confidence, yes, Evelyn. I have one thing, sorry. to Go ahead. At CARD, we actually will not do potty training until we have full compliance from the child. What full compliance means is if I say come here and do they see something exciting, they're still going to come no matter how much they want to run away to, and in any setting. If you get compliance across all environments and with the people, doing potty training is not, it's, it's one less fight that you have to do because they know that they need to do this. And can I just say, because we've been talking about ABA and the difference between good ABA and whatever else people do, that the wet, because my child w- w- did this with CARD, was potty trained by CARD and had they had compliance. And the way they went about getting compliance was that they were the funnest thing happening, that they were more fun than anything else. Nobody punished him into complying ever. That never happened, ever. So they make it super fun and reinforcing. It's, and we make ourselves as parents super fun and reinforcing so that our kiddos want to listen to us and that they realize that, hey, when, you know, mom keeps me safe. And when mom says, come here, it's because there's something good to come for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to make sure and, and say that. But, but here's, but more than anything, because I know you're worried about the, the potty training, it's going to happen it's going to be okay. And it's going to happen with your kiddo. And you'll see on this video, we just, we filmed it before all this COVID thing. Um, and, and you'll see that, you know, these two professionals talk about the fact that, you know, in their lives, they have not yet met the individual that the experts couldn't help with potty training. So across the board, your child will not be the first child that can, it's just going to take a little bit of time and you got to follow the Fox and Azrin steps and, and you know, the child has to be ready. That's the other thing that Ev was saying. So there are some lessons that you do first and they, they go right through. And I'm gonna have that for you um, by probably the middle of next week and we'll share it here on Autism Live. Um, so I just wanna put your mind at ease. And then um, I wanna switch over to a question that came in yesterday. Ah, here we are. Um, so I'm just technology, can Shannon walk, talk and chew gum? And the answer is no. Um, so we had somebody who wrote in yesterday and said, I was diagnosed with autism level one, but the DDOS test didn't detect autism. Every online autism test that I should get tested for autism, which I did. Another autistic woman on YouTube said the same thing uh, happened to her during the autism testing and that she was diagnosed with autism level one. Sometimes I worry that I was misdiagnosed because of the DDOS test. But when I look back on my childhood and look at my disabilities, I think I was correctly diagnosed. Can you discuss my concerns? Um, They're wanting to know um, what you think about that. Yeah, so what ends up happening is when you're high functioning autism, you're able to function in many parts of your life. And there's just a few areas that maybe are not unfunctional. And then that's what qualifies you for the diagnosis of autism. The diagnosis of autism is, it's not a fine tuned science, unfortunately. It's a bunch, it's a list of symptoms. And if you meet so many under each area, then, you know, then you fall into that area of, okay, you have, you know, ASD and here it's level one, two or three. And I, you know, I've been doing this so long that <laughs> there are some tests out there, you know, where you have to have what we call inner observer agreement, where there's a group of us that sit around and we look at the same child and then 
um, you look at the symptoms, see, and you do a series of activities. And then at the end, you know, you figure out, are they, do, do they fall in the spectrum or not? And you have to have a high level of agreement if you're using it for research. And we've done this at CARD. And I always laugh because you never know what happens before you come into the session. <laughs> I, I was at a place where one of my kids and they told me that I couldn't talk because I knew all about this kid. And I was going to be in there just to see like where this child would fall. And it was so incredible because the kid came in and I had just seen the kid the day before in the clinic and she had come in and fallen and done all these things. And when she walked in the clinic for this, this um, setting, she did the exact same thing. And then her responses were so rote for this test. I was just like, oh my goodness, she's not answering. She's just memorizing. But at the end of it, all these people had said, you know, she's not on the spectrum. And I was like, she's fully on the spectrum. It's just that her responses were all, and the only reason I would have said that was because I knew her and I knew so much of what she had said was rote and not true. She was just repeating what somebody had said. So there are ways to get around just the diagnosis. But if I were you, I wouldn't worry so much of whether you are on the spectrum or not. What I tell all the families that come through CARD is I actually don't really care what your, you know, whether you have the diagnosis or not. I'm looking at your kid to see what symptoms. What are the areas of deficits? What are the areas that are non-functional in your child's life? Because that's what we really need to fix. If it's social communication, is it nonverbal um, communication? Is it, you know, th these repetitive or rigid behaviors that keep you from functioning in daily life and from learning? So any of these deficits or excesses that affect um, your learning ability in every environment, that's what I'm more concerned about. I want to see, like, where are you at? Like, are there times in your life when you become more rigid? Right now with all the COVID-19 stuff, there's a lot of people who I know who have suddenly become very, very rigid. And it's because it's their effort to control um, their environment when they really have um, very limited control because of what's happening right now. And, but the thing is for those people that control the rigidity, if they can control it and they know when to turn it on and off, they're very functional. And I'm not gonna worry about them because it's not affecting their work or you know their um, family life and things like that. But if there's areas that are difficult all the time, such as not being able to read social cues or having really trouble integrating nonverbal information with what people are saying, those are deficit areas that you know you can practice. And but those are the areas that will make you fall on the autism spectrum. You know, so many, I always think like so many of, of the kids or the people that come through, even the adults, the really high functioning adults, a lot of times, you know, I had one adult come in for a diagnosis and he we said, Why are you here now? You're 40 years old, you're you're head of your department at work and you're very successful, you're married, you have kids. And then he said, I, I'm here because my wife said that the cats know I'm, she's angry before I know she's angry. And it was like, okay, that's it. Um, but I would look at you, yourself, not so much in terms of diagnosis, but what areas do you need help with that will help you function better, that will probably make you a lot happier or will help you just get along with people more and you know, focus on that more than actually, do I have this diagnosis? Was it right or was it wrong? And just be able to be more proactive in saying, okay, there's, you know, if I know that, you know, nonverbal cues are hard for me, maybe I can practice this. And there are a lot of different um, 
I know that not everybody here is familiar with CARD, but like CARD has our skills curriculum and there's a whole area about like facial expressions and, you know, gestures and body language and trying to understand how that works in, you know, a setting as opposed to learning it in the isolated manner. So I hope that helps you. Yeah, and I love that um, Ev, because as we've been talking today about good quality ABA, uh, Ev is a perfect example of somebody who is a good ABA clinician because her whole point is I'm looking at you as an individual and where do you need support? Where do you need help? Not as a one size fits all diagnosis. And so if P then Q, you're a person. And we're all people, regardless of diagnosis or not diagnosis, we all have things that we're good at and things that we're not good at. And when we don't care about the thing we're not good about, then it doesn't matter. But if in some way it's impeding us, then we would all like an opportunity to get to be better if it matters to us in the world that we're trying to move through. And it may not matter to me, like the person that you describe, um, the 40 year old who's like, well, I, you know, for me it's working, but my wife says the cats notice when she's bad before I do. And as much as I don't really care about that, I care about my relationship with my wife. Mm -hmm. Therefore, what she cares about, I need to care about. So I'm here to get help and support for that. I think that that's, you know, that's when I talked at the beginning of the show about it's important that all individuals with autism be treated with dignity and that good ABA does that. That's what I was talking about. So yeah. I just wanted to point that out. Um, now we've got a mom and we're, oh, we're over time. I'm so sorry. And I promised you, you were going to be down at 11. Can you answer <laughs> one more question? Okay. Do you have time? Okay. Yeah. So um, this mom says, my son stims. Uh, but with all these changes and no schools, he's been stimming almost uncontrollably, even as he's falling asleep. And here is something very interesting. And in his sleep, what tips can I do? And uh, another parent had asked the same question, but said, are there any learning apps that might help? So, wow, that's, that's yeah. a rough one, because I always say that if the kids are doing a certain behavior in their sleep, it's something else going on. You know, it, it's yeah. not necessarily a self-stimulatory behavior um, because their body, is, there's no conscious, right? Their body is just engaging in this behavior. And actually, I, that's when I actually refer them to a neurologist and just say, hey, get if you've never had a three-day um, EEG, this is the time to do it. Because yeah. you find out, is your child getting good sleep if they're moving or, or stimming or whatever it may be in their sleep? Like there might be some other underlying concern. So go check it out. Be very, um, you might have trouble doing EEGs, but like if you have a good ABA provider, they can help shape the process, systematically desensitize to put, you know, all those um, electrodes on and really help you through that process. I, I don't know if it is a self-stimulatory behavior if they're doing it in their sleep, because I've had kids who have had certain behaviors. And usually when I've sent them on, something else is going on. And yeah. um, I'm not sure I would classify it as a self-stimulatory behavior, which is more automatic and they're doing it because it feels good for some reason. But if he's doing it in his sleep, I'd, I'd think twice. I'd try okay. to biomed taking okay. care and I, I'm going to let you go because I promised you you'd be done at 11. I'm going to stick around for a couple of minutes to just give definition of self-stimulatory behavior and talk a little bit about that. Sounds um, good. But thank you so much for being here last night and today. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Um, and that was the wonderful Evelyn Kung. She's the clinical director at CARD. So um, for those of you who are still watching, self-stimulatory behavior, which is 
a, we call it stimming, right? Um, and that's short for self-stimulatory behavior, but that's kind of a misnomer too, because it implies that our kids are doing it to stimulate themselves. And in fact, sometimes the things that we call stimming, they're doing to calm themselves down, right? Which is the exact opposite of wanting to stimulate yourself. So the politically correct term for it is automatically reinforced behavior, which means that some whatever the behavior is, the, the paycheck is on the inside, that you know the, the executive who clicks his pen is not doing it for you, and they're not doing it for an audience, they're doing it because it helps them to focus. It helps to you know quiet the other things in their mind so that they can focus on the task and it helps them to think, right? We all engage in automatic reinforcing behavior across the board, absolutely, regardless of diagnosis, regardless of age, we all physically do things to help ourselves, to calm us, to um, help us to stay focused, all of us do these things. Um, when we, it, so we never want to say that across the board we want to stop it ever, right? Um, but it's important that it not get in the way of everything else that we need to do. So, um, but I think the distinction that um, Evelyn was making is that um, we do it usually when we are awake because it is in some way helping us. So where it comes into question is the child that's doing it in their sleep, if they're still doing it in their sleep, is it actually something that is connected to their conscious mind? Now I will say that I used to be a smoker and I know shocking because I'm the last person who would smoking and I'm one of those militant ex-smokers. I can't be in a room with people who are smoking. And it's been, I just, I want to say to you with all insanity, it's been almost 30 years since I've had a cigarette, right? That's crazy. That's a long period of time. Still, when I am stressed in my sleep, sometimes I will dream about smoking and my fingers will be in this position when I wake up because I'm dreaming about smoking. So that might, you know, it could be that that's what your child is doing. But I think what Evelyn is saying, um, suggesting, oh, look, we have our neurologist back with us. We could actually, are you there, Dr. Gola? Because I have a question for you if you're there. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> so I'm we, listening. <laughs> uh, so we had this question about a child who is uh, engaging in a STEM, but it's happening in their sleep. And the recommendation was to see a neurologist. Do you want to talk about this, this behavior? Yes, definitely. I sent a text message as well. But, oh, I see uh, that I'm now. I'm happy <laughs> to chat. Uh, yes, that is a concern. Self-stimulatory behaviors are something which occur when the child is awake. Uh, and uh, any behaviors or any abnormal movements in sleep are not self-stimulatory behaviors associated with autism. I would, uh, there could be multiple things. Uh, maybe not seizures. Sometimes the most common thing of... Uh, movements in sleep unless this child is in light sleep. So maybe he's just closing his eyes and uh, uh, in light sleep uh, or he's not sleep asleep actually, that could be self-stimulatory. But if he's in deep sleep and if he's uh, shaking his hands or legs, it could be something as simple as restless legs in sleep. Uh, and uh, sometimes iron deficiency can cause that. Um, so you might want to see a regular doctor and make sure it's not just restless legs in sleep or see a sleep doctor for that. 
it could be very well be seizures. And uh, if there is uh, abnormal movements in sleep, uh, it would be a good idea to talk to a neurologist or see a neurologist and get an overnight video EEG because children with and adults with autism have a 15% higher risk for seizures compared to the general population, where is it? It's zero to 3%. So it's 15% in uh, kids and adults affected with autism. So it, it's a good idea to look for seizures. And in this crazy time, when the recommendation is to do an overnight EEG, is there any way to do that without uh, having to go into a facility while we're trying to distance? Is, or is that just one of those things that you're going to have to do? Uh, absolutely. That's a very good question. So we have what is called as ambulatory video EEGs where a child or an adult could get an EEG in the home setting. So you just get those little stickies on the top of the head. It's all covered up uh, with the white uh, thing. Uh, you have a little box uh, at the side, uh, which could be tied to your belt, or it, you could hold it onto a stand. And uh, it could uh, the recording keeps going on. And sometimes that's ideal even without uh, all the crisis going on, because a child feels more comfortable in the home setting. It's his own bed, uh, his uh, room, his blanket and all that. And at times we do it during regular uh, times as well, an ambulatory video EEG uh, for 48 hours and you just turn it down in two days or three days. And we do have enough information uh, and we could look at that and make sure uh, that there's no seizures. Okay, so talking to a pediatric neurologist like Dr. Gola is, is gonna be um, something important. We shared her number before, 844-754-8643. She is able to do telehealth right now in any of the 50 states, is that correct? That's correct. That's pretty amazing. And amazing that we had you on earlier and that this is the question that came up. But I don't so, know how long it lasts. It's just now. So if you need right. to make use of it. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, that's absolutely right. Thank you for popping back on because I was going to refer back to you. And then there you were. It was like yeah. a, a, a wonderful gift. All right. So thank you so much for popping back with us. Thank you. Uh, and I want to thank all of you guys. We've gone way over time. And uh, so we're going to end the live stream now. But I do want to talk to you about tomorrow's show. Tomorrow on the show, we on Fridays, we typically do Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We're going to attempt to have Nancy here with me, where, and we will cover news. We have Leah Hirschfeld, who will be with us. Um, she is from Research and Development for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, going to be talking about some recent research and why that might be of interest to us and in, in the current circumstances that we're in. And then we've got Vince Redman with us. Vince is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's going to be talking with us about anxiety, something that we all are a little cozier with this week than we were a month ago, right? So we're going to talk about anxiety for you, anxiety for your child, how we cope in this COVID emergency. So um, I got to find what that other name is, the, the, the great uh, attending, I don't know what there's, there, we want to stop calling it the COVID emergency, because that is anxiety evoking. So I got to find out what the, uh, the, the right hashtag is for us, but we will be back then and you guys can be writing in your questions in the meantime. I appreciate you being here with us. 
we're going to stay with you. We're going to try to get our internet amped up a little bit so that it doesn't stick as much. But I want to thank you. I want to thank Traven um, for, for being our wonderful technician for this because this is pushing the outer limits, right? And we really want to thank our guests, Dr. Gola uh, and Evelyn Kahn. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>